name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Growing up overseas, everybody, uh, I missed out on the era of the milkman. Today we all buy our milk at the grocery store or we get it from Micah Beachy over there. But the, but the milkman was iconic in the past. And so lots of funny things have been written about milkmen. And uh, some of them I can share, some of them I can't. But uh, here's some notes that people left to the milkman in the past, right? My daughter says she wants a milkshake. Do you do it before you deliver it or do I have to shake the bottle? Here's another one. From now on, please leave two pints every other day and one pint on the days in between, except Wednesday and Saturdays when I don't want any milk. Yeah, right. So that's kind of how the milkman felt, I imagine. Uh, Here's one. My back door is open. Please put the milk in the fridge, get the money out of the cup in the drawer, and leave change on the kitchen table and coins because we want to play bingo tonight. Well, that was a different day, wasn't it, when the milkman came in and uh, did all of that. And uh, no milk today, please, and do not leave milk at number 14 either, as he is dead until further notice. <laughs> but here's my favorite one, all right? Here's my favorite. Joanne read in the Vogue magazine that milk baths were really good for you and, uh, and so for your skin. And so she ordered 100 bottles of milk from her milkman in his next delivery. Well, he thought that had to be a mistake. And so he went and knocked on the door to ask her. And she said, no, it's, uh, it's no mistake. He, she said, I want you to deliver 100 bottles of milk. And uh, she confirmed. The milkman then asked, do you want it pasteurized? And uh, Joanne replied, no, just up to my neck. <laughs> Think about that one for a minute. Do you want it pasteurized or uh, you older people, George, are you smiling behind your mask? I can't tell. So you older people will probably remember the milk commercial. Milk, it does a body good. You remember that tag? You remember that tagline for the milk? It does a body good. Well, I've entitled my talk this morning, Milk, It Does a Person Good, because Peter is going to take milk and he's going to talk about it and how we should long for the milk of God's word so that our lives can be affected by it. So that's what we're going to be looking at in just a few moments. Now, I must confess that last week in our study, I didn't go far enough. You know, you, you think you've come to a place. I did this to Micah Beachy one time and stopped right in the middle and made him take a passage of scripture that just was discombobulated because of where I divided it. Well, I sort of did that last week in that the first few verses of Peter, I think, really go with the first chapter. And I should have continued, although we were long-winded last week, uh, I probably should have continued through at least these uh, couple of verses in Peter because um, they really are a, a conclusion, if you would, to what we were talking about about last week. If you will remember, uh, last week we said that because of this living hope that we have, this great hope that one day Jesus is coming back and he's going to raise people from the dead, And he's going to create all things new so that there's going to be this new kingdom where he's going to rule and reign. And and all the things that sorrow our hearts, like we've been talked about this, we've been talking about this morning, like even death, but, but not just death, just other things that just we know aren't right, that sorrow our being. Well, Jesus is going to make all of that right. He's going to fix all of that. He's inviting us to be a part of that kingdom. And Peter says, because we have this living hope of all these great things that God's going to do, we need, you remember last week we said, there 
therefore, that we should be resolved to do these specific things. And the very last one of those resolves last week was that we should love one another constantly. That we should, you know, because we have this love for each other, Peter goes on to say, because of this great hope, love each other and love each other constantly. And I kind of stopped there. And I said, hey, the way that we do that, and I told you it was the one another commands. Remember, there's like, like 30 or 40 one another commands in the New Testament, like encourage one another, build one another up, uh, bless one another. I mean, they go on and on and on. But I picked out uh, three last week. I said, Here, here's what we can at least just mention as, as to how to love one another constantly. And I said, we should encourage one another. We should serve one another by building, by meeting each other's needs. And we should forgive one another. If you were here last week or if you listened, that's what I said. But actually, I didn't go far enough because I think Peter actually tells us how to love constantly. And he does so in the first couple of verses of the next chapter. So that's what we want to look at. If you look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Notice that it begins, therefore. Remember last week, we began with verse 13, and it began with therefore. And we said that therefores are always looking back to say, here's what we should do in light of what's been said, what's been already established. This is what we should do. And so we had those therefores last week. Well, he's got a therefore now. And so this, this is, again, somewhat cyclical. He's cycling back, if you would, to something that he's already said. The question would be, how far back do we go? And, and I'm suggesting because of the content that he's just going back to that last resolve, which was, you know, because we love each other, love one another constantly. So I think he's going back to there. And this is what he says in verse one, because we're to love one another constantly, therefore, look at it, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Now, what I'd like to do for the next few minutes is just look at each one of those five things that he lists. This is how you love one another constantly. And notice that those five things all have to do with our horizontal relationship to one another. This is how, this is how we love each other. This is how we do it constantly, okay? And he, he gives us five things that we're to rid ourselves of, five things that, we're not, that are not to be a part of our life. The first one is malice. And malice is a desire to hurt someone with our words and deeds. I imagine if we're all honest, we'd all say we've been there at some time in the past. We've, always want, we've all wanted to hurt somebody with our deeds or with our words. But Peter tells us, he says, we're to put away how much malice? You answer me. How much malice? All of it, right? There's, there's not, for those of us who follow Jesus, okay, there's not to be any malice in our life. No desire to hurt people with our words or our deeds. No smoldering resentment that makes us lash out at one another or at others. Even people that are not necessarily part of our family or part of the body of Christ. We're not to lash out. We're not to have malice. Then he says deceit. And again, he uses the little operative word there, all, all deceit. Not just a little deceit, but all deceit. We're to put it all away from us. And he says, and again, Peter being a fisherman, he'd understand the whole bait and, uh, bait and hook sort of thing. What we, we pay tricks on people so that we can get our way with them. We, we seek to trick them or deceive them by telling them a little lie or omitting the truth so that we can get a bit of personal gain over somebody else. Peter says, listen, all of that is not to be a part of our life. We're to do away with it. We're never to be dis deliberately deceitful. 
you know, or dishonest. I guess it's because I've been working on this this week, and there was a, a moment this week where I, I guess it's because it's, you know, it's just so fresh in my mind. I asked Anne, I said, I feel like I'm practicing deceit right here a little bit about this. And, and we can practice big deceit too. All deceit should be gone from our lives because we follow Jesus, because we love constantly or we want to love constantly. Why? Because we have this great living hope of this new kingdom that God's going to establish and we get to be a part of it. The third word is hypocrisy, and the word hypocrisy comes from the Greek theater word. It has to do with wearing a mask. A hypocrite was somebody who put on a mask and so played a different part. Out of that word, you know, came the idea of hypocrisy in our lives, where we're pretending to be something that we're not, or acting like we're something different than we are. Jesus, he, um, he rebuked the Pharisees. They were the religious folks of his day. Not just the religious folks, but the religious leaders. Then he rebuked them for their hypocrisy because they said one thing and they did another. He said, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And, and Peter is now saying to us, listen, love one another constantly by not living different than what you claim. Don't be in the shadows something that you're not in the light. Don't be something behind everybody's back that you're not in front of them. Don't be a hypocrite. Can we be honest? It's easy to be a hypocrite, isn't it? I mean, that's no excuse, but it's easy for us to fall back into hypocrisy. And the fourth word is envy. Envy is one of the seven deadly sins in the Proverbs. Our writer, one writer calls it, excuse me, envy. Envy is the last sin Christians will confess because it's so ugly. Here's what envy is. Envy is jealousy at the success of others and happiness at their misfortune. So that's what envy is. And Peter says, put envy. And, and, I, and I don't think Peter would object to me saying, put all envy away. Put all hypocrisy away. You know, we, we, you know, there's nothing wrong with me looking at you and, and seeing what you have and saying, man, I'd like to have that. And then applying myself to getting it or working hard at, at getting whatever you have or whatever. But envy is not that. Envy is when I don't want you to have what you have because I don't have it. Or maybe even worse, I want bad things to befall you so that what you have will be taken from you. That's what envy is, and we're not to have any of that in our lives. Slander is the last one. Literally, the term slander there in the original Greek language is, is, a, is a compound word of speak against. Some of your translations may say evil speaking, right? But it literally just says speak against. No speaking against. And so I would imagine Peter has in mind all speaking against people. That would include gossip or tailbiting, tailbearing or backbiting or, or spreading rumors or passing a bad report or taking a cheap shot at people or using humor to cut people down or disparaging people with your unkind comments. I mean, all of that, I think, is included in the idea of slander. And and we're not to do that. And listen, you're, you're, you're not to slander someone with veil accusations or twisting the truth to make another person look bad or subtle nuances to cast people in a negative light. That's not how we're to be. We're to be different. And can I, can I just be honest with us? Listen, our social media pages, I know you all probably tire of it. I get remarks that some of you don't like me talking about it. But our social media is is just flooded with veil accusations and twisting the truth from both sides of the political spectrum. 
You know, and, and, and when other people do it, you know, I can't help what other people do. All I can help is what I can do. And I can't speak into lives of people that aren't a part of our family, but you're a part of our family and you've given me the privilege of speaking into our lives. And I'm saying, listen, this is how we're not to be regardless of what everybody else is. When I've called people out, people have said, but everybody else is doing it. But the other side, whatever the other side might be for you, they're doing it. Listen, folks, that, that doesn't excuse our behavior. We don't, we don't march to the drum of social media. We march to our Savior, Jesus. And we live the way he wants us to live. And here he's telling us through Peter. He's saying, put off these things. Don't let any of these things be a part of your life in any way. Slander is, listen to this, slander is usually the fruit of envy. And because it almost always is done behind the back of another person, it's the seedbed of hypocrisy. We need to put all that stuff away. So let me, let me just stop for a second. Let me, let me hold these five, these five things up for you to see malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And these rotten attitudes, they should not be in any one of our lives. We should, he says, rid them. It's like take them off. There's no room for them in our Christian wardrobe. And listen, there should be no room for these things in our church family. Wouldn't you agree? And I'm not saying they are. I'm just challenging us and encouraging us to all the more make sure they're never a part of who we are as a people. Because if that's who we are, then... Man, we're an affront to people who don't know Jesus. And we're putting up roadblocks and stumbling blocks to others. These are relational sins. And Peter says, don't let them be in your life. I've been a pastor for years. I've been a pastor of this church for years. And listen, I've seen malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander that we can deliver to one another. Did you hear what I said? I'm not talking to the social media stuff now. I'm not talking to anybody else but us. I have seen where we have done the malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, and I have been a recipient of it, okay? But before you feel sorry for me, I want you to know that I've also most likely been a perpetrator of it as well. None of us are immune to this. We can all fall in to the trap of, the, of these five things being a part of our life. And Peter says, love constantly, everybody. And here's how you do it. You put these things off. You get rid of them. And listen, you don't take them to the goodwill either. You don't, you don't take your, out of your wardrobe and take them to the goodwill. You take them to the backyard and you put them on the burn pile and you burn them. And we just have them no more. But Peter doesn't stop there. So look at your text, right? And so if you would, so if I'm right, if I'm right, and Peter's reaching back to the love constantly desire that God has for all of us, then he's saying, here's how you do it. You put these things off, and he mentions five things. Of course, he could have mentioned many others, but he mentions those five. And then he kind of juxtaposes that to a positive. And the positive that he gives us is in verse 2. Look at it with me. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. So I think the therefore of verse 1 is reaching back and he's saying two things. Put this stuff off and then if you would, invest yourself in these things or put these things on in your life. And he says, put these things on so that you may grow up in your salvation. Grow up in your relationship with Jesus. And, uh, and growing up, what does that mean? It means loving constantly. Y'all understand you follow this? I'm really trying to tie it together so we all can understand what Peter's saying. 
All right, now out of this little short statement that Peter gives us, I want to show you three things that are really worth noting for us today, okay? Three things that maybe you, should, you can take away this morning and just apply them in our lives, in your lives for the days to come. Here's the first one. Salvation, according to Peter, is something we grow in. Something we grow up into, he says. You don't just trust Jesus and immediately become perfect. You don't just trust Jesus and immediately all the bad stuff falls off automatically and I just, I become this absolutely perfect saintly person. The moment I trust Jesus, Peter says that we have to grow up into our salvation. So really salvation, a relationship with God is the beginning and not the end. The culmination of our salvation, listen to this, and this is so, this is something I talk about a lot and I know you probably tire of it, but the culmination of salvation is the return of Jesus and his institution of his kingdom. It's when he comes back and he makes all things new. At the very end of the book of Revelation, God says this, he says, y'all remember this? Behold, I make all things new. So all the crud and all the, yeah, all the crud, I won't say anything else. All the crud's going to be done away with, all the bad, all the evil. And Jesus will be our king and all things will be made right and it'll be good. And that's what we're longing for. That's what all our hearts hope for. And that's the culmination of our salvation. It's, it's going to be our rebirth and, and resurrection where all the, we're going to sow this old guy in the ground when I die, but I'm going to be raised a new person in Christ when he returns. And that's the hope and that's the culmination of our salvation. But, but, but my relationship with Jesus now starts everything, doesn't ends it. It's not like I'm complete now. We Western Christians have this mindset that salvation's like I've got my ticket punched and I've got it in my wallet right here. So when I get to heaven or I get to the kingdom of God, I, pour out my, I pull out my ticket and I'm, I show God my ticket and I'm in. And that's kind of how we see salvation. That's not what salvation is. Salvation is I fall in love with God and I love God and I follow God. And in the end, he invites me to be a part of his kingdom because I have this personal relationship with him. Not because I've got my ticket punched, but because I have a relationship with God. We've got to change our mindset. We, Bacon's Castle, our family, we need to make sure we understand that this is about a relationship with God. And salvation is not the end. It's, the, it's like the starting block. Last night I officiated at Esther and Rob's wedding. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I try to say this at every ceremony where I'm the officiant, is that, you know, the wedding's like uh, the first thing, but it's not the main thing. Got that from a man, some of you will remember, Janet George, you were here. Jack Wilder told us that, you know, 33 years ago. Marriage, wedding, the wedding's the first thing, but it's not the main thing. The marriage is the main thing, right? And so Esther and Rob have started on this journey, this marriage, and today's going to be their first full day of marriage, right? And they think they know each other. They think they know each other, right? But let's just face it, 10 years from now, they'll, they'll say what we knew on that day was nothing compared to what we know now. Give them 33 years, give them 50 years, you know, they'll, they'll know so much more about each other in the years to come. And that's, and that's what Peter wants you to know today. Grow up into your salvation because salvation's not the end. It's not the end goal, guys. I mean, it's the beginning of a relationship with Jesus. And the end goal is we get to be with him forever and ever and ever in a kingdom that's his. 
And I know people say, without faith, that's, that's pie in the sky, Jimmy. Why would you believe that? Because I do have faith. Because I think Jesus did conquer death. Because I think he is risen from the dead. And so therefore, I do believe that he's coming back. And I do believe that that's the end goal. Here's the second thing that Peter says in that one little statement. He says, salvation is, is the beginning, not the end. But then he says this, God's word is a means by which you grow in your salvation in that relationship. By the way, if you're using the piece of paper to take notes, I'm not going to be exactly right, so you really going to have to think deeply about what my fill-ins are, okay? So I didn't write it exactly right. But anyway, God's word is a means by which you grow in your salvation in that relationship. And I had written in my notes, I'd actually written it as the means. I had written it as the means, but then I got to thinking, no, it's not the means. There are other means by which we grow up in our, in our salvation. We grow in our relationship with God. There are other means, not just the word of God. But in Peter's case here, Peter's saying that it's a main one. It's a really important one. And if you've been a part of this church family, or if you've been following Jesus in another church family for a long time, then you've heard, I'm sure people like myself say that. That the key to growing up in your salvation is God's word, the Bible, okay? And let me tell you, let me give you two re Let me tell you, first of all, what the Bible says about itself. It says about itself that it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Peter says this about it. He, I mean, yeah, Paul says this about it. I'm sorry. He says that it's inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training you and me in righteousness that we might be a complete, mature person. So that's what God says about his word himself, right? But, but let me give you two reasons why God's word is so important to help us grow up into our salvation. Because one, it reveals to us who God is and it tells us about God. It talks about his greatness and his goodness. The Bible says that if we look out at creation, then here's one thing we're going to know, that God exists. The Bible says, and, and I, think it's pretty, I think it's pretty true, that it's... it's you're foolish to look out and look at the design of all of the universe and not say there's a designer. The Bible says you're foolish if you say that, that there's no designer to all that we see in the design of creation. The Bible says that creation enough is enough to tell us that there is a God, that he exists, okay? But here's something else creation tells us. It tells us not only that God exists, but it tells us that a God who could make all of this, a being who, could, who transcends this and could make all of this is a powerful, powerful being. Creation tells us that. But it doesn't tell us you know, it tells us that he's got a lot of beauty in him, right? To design the world the way it is. But it doesn't tell us a lot of specifics about us, about him, but the Bible does. The Bible tells us all kinds of things about God. In the first pages of the Bible, it tells us that God is a loving crea creator. It tells us that his character is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love to thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. We see his justice in condemning sin and humbling the arrogant. We see scripture revealing that God is a good shepherd, a faithful provider, a rock of refuge. We see the Bible telling us all kinds of things about God. He's all powerful, all knowing, all wise, all present. We learn those things from, from God's word. So Peter says, hey, long for God's word so that you can grow up in your salvation. Why? Because it tells you about God. It tells you about his plan of salvation. It tells you about this kingdom that God's got promised for us. It tells you how to be a part of it. You know what the Bible says? It says you, you don't become a part of it by being good. 
You become a part of it by loving God. You become a part of it by believing that God exists and then seeking after him. And if you seek after him, he's going to reveal to you his son, Jesus, and that Jesus died for our sins so that by faith in him, we could have this relationship with him. That's what the Bible tells us. Jesus says, God says, without faith, it's impossible to please me. I don't care how moral you are. I don't care how good you are. Without faith, it's impossible to please me because the one who comes to me must believe that I exist and that I am a rewarder of those who seek me. And then he defines faith for us. It's the, I always get it mixed up. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, you know, faith, there, there is an element to faith, guys, that you can't, you can't touch it. But it's a conviction that you know in your heart is true because of the evidence all around you. And without faith, you can't please God. And the Bible tells us about God, tells us about his desire for us, his plan for us, how he wants us to flourish in families, how he wants us to flourish as nations, how he wants us to flourish as his people, all of that. And one more thing that, the, that I, I believe Peter would say to us, this is why I want you guys to long for the word of God. Because it not just tells us about God, but it, it helps renew our minds to see things from God's perspective. You know, in other words, our culture is telling us one thing. I have ideas. You have ideas. You know, how do I know whose ideas are right? How do I know whose ideas are wrong? Well, if there is this transcendent being, if there is a God out there who is Lord over all, he has the right to tell us this is how it is. This is how you should think. This is what is right. This is what is good. And so the Bible helps us renew our mind and bring it bring it in, in accordance with God's perspective. He helps us think and understand and approach life the way he would want us to. It tells us about God that he does things like, you know, heal the broken, rescue the weak, confound the wise, love his enemies. We see his humility, his kindness, his selfishness, and the Bible calls us, or the word of God calls us to be those, that kind of person, that selfless person who's kind and gracious and humble and good just like he is. The Bible shows us what's evil and what's sinful, what's dishonoring to God. It shows us what sin looks like and what righteous living looks like. We grow up spiritually into our salvation through the word of God because it changes our way of thinking. One of my favorite verses as a young Christian, as somebody beginning to follow Jesus, was, uh, was from Romans chapter 12. It's probably a verse that many of you have memorized over the years, but it goes like this. It says... Um, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what the will of God is, that it is good, perfect, and I forgot the last one, last word, and pleasing, thank you, and pleasing. Get your minds transformed by God's word so that you think like God, so that you might prove to the world around you that the will of God is good. It's good and it's kind, it's gracious and it's pleasing. That's, that's, that's what God wants to do with all of us, change us so that the world would see us and, and say, man, we want to follow a God who, who changes people and makes them like that. We want to follow such a God as that. So Peter says in this little one, one verse, he says, 
You know, we grow up into our salvation. We don't start off mature. We start at the beginning, at the, at the start blocks. And we grow up into it. And God's word is what helps us get there. But then the last thing he says is, you're growing up into your salvation is something you are responsible for. Now look at the verse again. Look what Peter says. He says, like newborn babes, and it's in the aorist tense, which is a command, you long for the word of God like a newborn babe longs for milk. And this is the command. It's a command. It's a command for all of us. It's a plural command, meaning it, it applies to every one of you here listening today. Everyone who reads this verse, it's a verse that it's, it's for all of us. I am responsible for my spiritual growth. And unfortunately, it's, uh, it's all too often not present in our lives. If indeed the, the God's word is one of the means by which we grow up into salvation, why is it that... We rarely, during the week, pull out our Bibles and read them or seek to understand them. Let's be honest. And I'm not asking for a raise of hands, but hey, it's, it's real easy to neglect ever reading your Bible or seeking to learn it or understand it so that you might be transformed. And I wondered, I'm wondering out loud here, everybody, I wonder how many of us really take responsibility for our own spiritual, for our own growing up into our into our spiritual salvation, into our relationship with Jesus, right? How many of us take personal responsibility for that? Do you? And that's really what Peter's saying here. Brandon Smith said, when believers are willing to place their lives on a collision course with God's word, then transformation can occur. And I think Brandon's right, but here's the deal. You've got to put yourself on a collision course with God's word. If not, you know, it just sits on your shelf and does nothing by osmosis. Notice uh, Peter says you are responsible for it, and you're not just responsible for it, but you're responsible for it. Do you notice what he says? Like a newborn baby longs for milk. Well, y'all all know I'm a granddad now, and my kids are long past drinking out of a bottle, but I can still remember. I can still remember how my kids would scarf down a bo bottle. Okay, they long for it. And some of you young parents, you won't, rem you won't know anything about this, but we used to buy bottles that had plastic bags in it. And you'd put the nipple over it, and then you'd screw it down. You'd put the milk in the bag. You'd be able to throw the bag away. That was the point, I think, convenience, right? But my kids would take that thing, and it'd be gone in, in a matter of minutes. But here's the part I want you to visualize. That bag would be sucked up into a little ball at the very back of the bottle because they just kept sucking and sucking till there was no air, air in, the, in, the, in the plastic bag was up in the nipple of the bottle. Can you get that picture? That's how, that's how babies long for milk. And Peter says it's your responsibility to long for God's word and, and to find a way to long for it like a baby longs for the milk when you're giving it milk and it's just a newborn. Well, my point, my point is simply, I just want to drive this home. You're, you're responsible. Young people, Will, I saw you sitting there a minute ago. It's not your mom and dad's responsibility for your spiritual growth. You, Will, are responsible for your spiritual growth. Adam, you're responsible. It's not, it's not Rebecca's responsibility to make you grow. It's your responsibility. And I could go all around, the, all around the parking lot this morning and say to every one of us, it's not your spouse's responsibility. It's not your parents' responsibility. Listen, it's not even your Sunday school teacher's responsibility. It's not my responsibility, your spiritual growth. 
Your spiritual growth is your responsibility. You're accountable for it. And Peter says, like newborn babes long for God's word in such a way that you might grow up into your, up into your salvation. Most Muslims, most Jews, and most Christians are content to just be taught on a, on a Sunday morning or a Friday morning or a Saturday morning. They're, they're, they're most content just to be taught whatever their imam or their rabbi or their pastor teaches them. That's not what Peter says here. You're not to just, you know, you're not to just take what somebody does like I'm doing right now. That's not the extent of your taking in the word of God. Joshua 1a, remember this? This is the book we last studied not too long ago. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, God speaking to Joshua, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Now, before I turn away from this, and I'm finished, guys, I'm just about finished, but before I turn away, I don't want you to get the wrong impression. I don't, want you to, I don't want you to think I'm saying that, that preaching, I, I believe in preaching. I'm doing it right now. I believe in teaching the Bible. I believe in Sunday school classes. I, I believe in, here's what the Bible says, that, that God has given us teachers and people who help us, right? So I'm not minimizing this. And I'm glad you, you are, at least at some level, taking responsibility to grow up into the Word of God or grow up in your salvation by the Word of God by being here. You're at least taking some level of responsibility for that. So I'm not trying to minimize the fact that God has given us, listen, not just me, God has given us each other to help us learn his, his word. Listen, listen, here's Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. So this isn't just something I do for you or some other teacher does for you, a Sunday school teacher. This is what we're to be doing for one another. We're to be learning the word of God and we're to be challenging each other and sharing with each other what we're learning. That's why in our small group, I always ask, what, what are you, what are you learned this week? What have you learned? What, have, what, what has God showed you this week? Because that's how it's supposed to be. We're teaching one another. I'm not minimizing the fact that you can feed into my life and help me grow. And I can do that for you. And you can do that for one another. That's so, so very important. But here's the point. Don't miss it. You and only you are responsible for your spiritual growth. When you stand before God, whether you grew up into your salvation or not, it's, it's on you. It's on you. So I'm challenging you this morning to, to love constantly. And how do you do that? Putting those things off, malice, deceit, envy, hypocrisy. Putting those things off and then taking the word of God and growing up in your salvation, knowing that, hey, I don't, I'm not there. I'm just beginning. So I need to grow and I'm responsible for that. You live in the best time, everybody. You live in the best time to, well, should I, can I say that? I don't know if I can say that. I was going to say you live in the best time to grow up in your salvation. I, and that's not true. Any time would have been a great time to live, grow up in your salvation. But you, you live in the, the, one of the best times ever to be able to listen to some of the greatest teachers of the Bible all over the planet. With the click of your mouse on your computer or with a punching of a button on your phone, you can listen to some of the greatest teachers help you understand the word of God today. You know, we're really without excuse not learning the Bible, not letting the Bible be a part of our life. Now, the last thing that Peter says there, look at the last phrase of verse 3. He says, if you've tasted, if you've tasted. 
If you've tasted that God is real, if you know that God is real because you've tasted by faith, you, you have put your trust in him and you know he's real, this is for you. If you've tasted, then, then grow up into your salvation. If you've never tasted, you're not going to want to grow up in your salvation because you you've never tasted. God's just something, he's just a person out there maybe. But if you've tasted what it's like to know God personally and have a relationship with him, if you've tasted then grow up into your salvation. Put these things off and grow up into your salvation and, and get to know the word of God so that God can change you and transform you from the inside out. Let me review. Love one another constantly. How do you do that? In your relationship with others, you carefully put off malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And instead, you're to grow up in your relationship with God. You grow up in your salvation. And you do that, you do that in one major way through the word of God. And you are to acknowledge that you're growing your relationship, that you are to acknowledge that growing your relationship is your responsibility through the word of God. So in closing, and I truly am, I got three questions for you. Is your relationship with God growing fresh and alive? You know, I have two dear friends who recently told me in different settings that they feel dry spiritually. I've felt dry before. I'm sure I'll feel dry again spiritually. You know, I, I think the key to when I feel dry is to find a way back into just learning God's word and letting God's word just fill my heart so that he has a chance to speak to me. I, I have... Uh, you know, I've told you this on numerous occasions, but I have found that to be through podcasting for myself, listening to, you know, not to just talk about it every week, but listening to Dick's little messages, but listening to some more substantive things as well, where people are teaching me the word of God so that it's saturating my life. And I have found that that's, that's, that's brought this aliveness to my spiritual life that I had lost for a while. Is your relationship with God growing and fresh? And I'd urge you, just find your way back into the Word of God. What are you doing to drink of the milk of the Word of God? What are you doing now yourself personally? And I guess a rhetorical question, I'm not asking you to answer just in your own heart. What are you doing to get the Word of God, to, to do what Peter says, to grow up in your salvation by longing for the Word of God? What are you doing? And then finally, and this is kind of the, we're going to leave here on this question. Are you willing to do more? Are you willing to do something different than what you're doing? Yeah, I'd just really urge us to do more, you know, to do more. And I'm not talking about do more in the sense of doing things. I'm talking about do more so that the word of God fills my life, so that I know his word and I understand his word and it changes my life. Let's, uh, let's pray, okay? Father, when we think of Peter, Peter the fisherman, Lord, and we think about uh, just this burly guy who followed you and was so awkward at it and uh, just made so many bumbling word mistakes, and, and Lord, you took him and you made him a, a pebble and you made out of that pebble this rock, and, uh, and Peter, Lord, has, uh, and then you used Peter to write us such things as this. Lord, thank you for the maturity we see in Peter, just as he told us to grow up into our salvation, he grew up into his, and it's it's evident, Lord, as we read about him in the Gospels, as we read about him in the story of Jesus, and then read what he writes now, we see how he grew up. 
Lord, I pray for all of us that we would grow up in our salvation. Lord, that we would long for your word like, uh, like you want us to. And then, Lord, would you take your word and transform us and change us? Lord, would you make us so different that people around us would say, man, can you tell me why you're the way you are? Can you tell me why you're so kind and gracious and good and selfless and why you stand for righteousness? And, you know, uh, Lord, would you just help us be so much like you that people want to know why we're so different? Would you do that, Lord, for us? Help us with that. Lord, help us to put off the things that, that Peter just immediately dives into, like deceit and hypocrisy and envy and malice and, and slander, Lord, evil or speaking against others. Lord, help us to put all of that off. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit so that, Lord, we're walking the, the Christ-like life. Thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you that we've all, it's so encouraging to me to see so many of them that I haven't seen in a while here with us this morning. Lord, thank you for letting us be together today out here. A little cool, but thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.